I'm Michael McMullen. And I'm John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History. Welcome to This Week in Church History for the week September 7th to October 3rd. I am joined with my co-host, Mike McMullen, and we are back. Uh, This was a little bit longer of a summer break than we ever anticipated. But this was 2020. This was 2020. I guess we can all throw that into the big burning dumpster fire that is 2020. You had surgery. I was writing uh, policy manuals for COVID implementation and uh, Title IX and all kinds of crazy things. So we're finally back to our love working with church history. And this is a great week to be jumping uh, back in. Uh, As we kind of look through all of the different things going on this week, we uh, settled on uh, George Mueller, uh, who was born on the 27th of September, 1805. Uh, Mueller was a figure who really caught my attention even as a, a young adult. I remember reading uh, his biography by A.T. Pearson uh, even when I was in high school. And a man who had unbelievable faith. I don't know how else to categorize him except for somebody uh, with unbelievable faith. And in many respects, I, as I still think back to George Mueller, I just think back to. Um, uh, my own life and think, oh my goodness, I have so many shortcomings in this regard. It's just humbling when you think through his prayer life and his insistence on trusting the Lord for everything. Um, uh, Mike, uh, when you think of uh, Mueller and, and kind of his work in Great Britain, what are the, some of the top things that come to mind that he accomplished during his life? Well, Mueller is one of these Christian giants that um, every Christian really should read his biography, uh, the details of his life, the things that he wrote, and and most of all, as you said, this incredible faith. Um, Of course, the danger is that we compare ourselves with him and and we see that we really fail in comparison. But there's an encouragement and a challenge there that we're not all George Muller's, we're not all Charles Spurgeon's. Um, we are who we're called to be and, and to walk in that way in faith and trust and, and see what God will do. And, and God did amazing things, really, through George Muller. He established an incredible number of schools, uh, an incredible number of orphanages in, in one of the most deprived cities in Victorian Britain, Bristol, uh, second only to London, right. uh, the port that. Um, all the slave ships would go through, go into Africa as part of the, the triangle. And it was a very deprived city. And Muller went there as a pastor and, and saw the incredible need and, and kind of transitioned from being a full-time pastor to being involved in the ministries he established. And he's someone who, uh, from the time that we encounter him in Great Britain, he He's coming actually with an intent, mission, and purpose. So he he arrives in Britain uh, the, uh, in 1829. As he arrives, he's his whole intent is as a German to be a minister to the Jewish population in London through the London Society for the Promotion of Christianity Amongst the Jews, uh, an organization that uh, I've written on uh, before. And his connection there with a um, with just a heart for evangelism, a heart for missions but quickly finds that there is this hole of need, uh, a, a gaping hole of, of social need, of gospel need, 
uh, that's there in Bristol, and he relocates his life uh, into the city of Bristol very quickly. Uh, and by 1832, uh, we find him there to, working at Bethesda Chapel. Um, and from there, it's just like uh, a rocket ride of different ministries that he is developing over and over and over again, from the schools to the orphanages to the He's just finding a need and meeting that need. Yeah, and, and, you know, the incredible thing is you have this man with incredible faith, and that's really who George Muller was, an incredible belief and trust unshakable that God really will do and what he's promised for those who actually trust and have the faith to believe that he will act. And, and with that faith, he becomes this, as you say, a man of incredible action, intervening in incredible ways. So you have Muller working in Bristol um, as a contemporary with Spurgeon working in London, both doing very similar things, yeah. ministry and mission amongst people who are in need of incredible help. So let's talk about that faith component that you just mentioned, because uh, in many respects, uh, Mueller is, is, becomes the, the, the type for what becomes known as faith missions and uh, faith uh, evangelism and the understanding that uh, whatever need that we have, since God already knows about it, we just simply trust him for it we don't even have to devote it to uh, any kind of external request for resourcing or external request for anyone to understand. We just trust that God is going to provide. We pray for it, we turn it over to the Lord, and he provides. H how did Mueller use that in his life uh, in a key way? The way that Mueller would operate, he would never make a a declaration of need. He would never approach people. He would simply uh, pray uh, often with his wife or with those who were working in the orphanages or the schools. And if a particular need arose, whether it was a, a meal at breakfast that same day, then they would pray together, believing that God would provide. And every time God did provide, and he kept extensive journals uh, testifying to how faithful God was. And, and for Muller, it was a very simple thing that you know, God was trustworthy. Everything he'd promised he would do. And, and Muller simply never doubted that's what God would do. And he acted on behalf of those that Muller was interceding for. I'll never forget reading, uh, again, as a young man, that account that, that Pearson tells of uh, being with the orphanage in the morning and um, the, the director is coming to him and say, we, we don't have anything for, for the kids. And they just said, well, let's, let's stop and pray. And um, lo and behold, a, a knock comes at the door, and it's uh, the, the local uh, um, milk delivery uh, wagon that is broken down outside. And he goes, you know, this is never going to get to uh, the houses that it needs to go to. Would you guys have need for it? <laughs> it's like, of course, we, we've been praying for this. And uh, he'd already had all the children sit, and so they were able to serve them and, and to be able to uh, see God's provision in a very real, tangible way. Now, the number of orphans overall that he was able to uh, intersect with through his orphan care ministry exceeded 10,000, correct? Yes. I mean, they, they estimate 12,000 were cared for. Which is unbelievable in one man's lifetime to be able to see that take place in the 19th century. And it's perhaps 
helpful to uh, spend just a, a brief moment talking about how, I and mean, you've referenced how dire search circumstances were in Bristol uh, and in London. Uh, the Industrial Revolution had just done absolute devastation to the way that the economy had normally functioned, and there was displacement of persons. Yet at the same time, children were seen as uh, quite frequently as um, a bother, um, yeah, an more than a treasure. Burden. Yeah. And uh, the 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 number of children that were used in 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 essence child labor mm-hmm. for twelve hour days or beyond, and they would die in mines, and yeah. they would do. Th- so for him to say, no, 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 this is not the way that uh, we do this. Jesus loved the children. Yeah. So we should love the children, and we should uh, care for the children and uh, do everything that we can and to, to bring them to a place where they could hear the gospel, that they could be educated, and then in turn be productive members uh, of society, which is why he tied that uh, orphan care work also with schools and yeah. the founding of all these schools. What... What was the impetus between school foundation uh, for him in his broader ministry work? Why would he even bother with a school? Well, the idea was you gave the orphans somewhere to live, you fed them, and then you educated them, you prepared them for life, you gave them the start that they'd never had. And it was a helping hand and it was an encouragement to uh, to take life and, and to be, you know, what God could use you as. And, and a big part of the education was, you know, Christian education. And, and Muller was very clear uh, about what would happen in that education, the encouragement for them uh, to believe in the same Christ that he did. So as he's going through and, and working by faith, I, obviously, I, I think if you're a, an evangelical in Britain uh, during the 19th century and you you have your eyes halfway open to see what God is doing through the orphanage work uh, out of Spurgeon's uh, ministry or the orphan work that's happening in in Mueller. People are opening their pocketbooks and they are giving. Um, How much did he receive in his lifetime without ever making an appeal? Yeah, the the figures are astounding, really. He, He accounts that he received one and a half million pounds, so maybe two million dollars, uh, then the equivalent of you know a hundred and thirty million dollars today, without ever making an ask, without asking anyone for anything apart from making that known to God, that's astounding. The amount of schools he established, how many? It was over a hundred. Yeah, a hundred and seventeen schools, I believe he establishes. This is one man working who's. You know, experience of such a thing is virtually nil, and and yet under God, this is what He's able to do. It is just mind blowing. Now, in his in his day and his time, uh, he also was part of uh, the founding of the Plymouth Brethren, which uh, we're familiar with because of John Nelson Darby and what becomes uh, and and arrives uh, to be um, dispensationalism and, and the thoughts there. And he early on has. Uh, debate and differences with uh, Darby on quite a few uh, key factors relating to dispensationalism. Uh, it's Mueller who uh, actually begins to advocate for what we would now known as a post-tribulational perspective, which obviously Darby didn't quite like, and they right. had uh, quite a bit of a uh, of an issue. But ultimately, their split had everything to do with communion. 
Uh, do you remember that debate there over the nature of open or closed communion? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a big debate in Britain who should be admitted to communion, who should be a member of the church. Um, it, it was an issue in Bunyan's day. It remained an issue in the 19th century. Yeah, and so as he's going through, he's he's trying to promote more of an open perspective, yes. and Darby says, no, we need to close this down, and there's— uh-huh. There's nothing else that, uh, that 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 we should do. So they split actually over the nature of uh, of communion. And this is another another incredible thing, really, um, about Muller that his life uh, has so many facets to it. Not just his work in Bristol, not just his uh, work at the beginning with uh, uh, Darby and others, but. Um, you know, even later in life, uh, his wife dies, he remarries in his 60s, and then embarks on an incredible uh, 17 years from his 60s onwards of, of uh, international missionary activity. Yeah. Uh, he travels, I think the, the figures are, he travels more than 200,000 miles. Yeah. Uh, uh, he speaks to more than a million people. He goes to America. Uh, Germany, Austria, Egypt, uh, Canada. It's incredible the amount of countries he travels to. And, and again, this is a man in his late 60s into his 70s, even after the life that he's already lived. And, and and again, it's not like getting on a plane and like eight hours you you get up and you're there, right? You're talking two to three months. These voyages take several months. Yeah. And, and, you know, beware if you're prone to seasickness. Exactly. Um, well, and it's one of the stories, again, I love, I remember this so well that he, uh, the, that he's going across, he's, he's, I believe on his way to Canada and there is a massive fog and the ship captain is just absolutely uh, flummoxed. They don't know what to do. They're, they're kind of at a standstill and uh, Mueller says that he'll go and he'll pray and uh, for the fog to be lifted. And the captain kind of takes a knee and he's going to to pray with Mueller and Mueller corrects the captain and says, you don't need to do that. Uh, all of my life, I've had an immediate audience with the king. He'll hear what I have to say. You don't need anything. And they're below deck. And so Mueller prays and he says, I think if you go upstairs, you'll find that the fog is lifted. And the captain, who actually wasn't a believer at the time, goes upstairs on the main deck of the ship and finds the fog, which was so thick before they didn't know where they were going, now is suddenly completely lifted and gone. And it was said that he became a Christian right after that. Yeah, and Mueller could pray like this in this situation because of, of the way that God had answered prayer for decades before. And he had an appointment to speak in New York City and believed absolutely that God wanted him to, to give that address and knew that the fog uh, couldn't stop him from getting there if he prayed that God would lift the fog. And of course, God did exactly that. Um, I have a, a, a quote from uh, Spurgeon. Spurgeon said this, Let me say to you again, grieve very much if there is the least cloud between you and Christ. Do not wait until it is as thick as a November fog. Be full of sorrow if it is only like a tiny fleecy cloud. George Muller's observation was a very wise one. Never come out of your chamber in the morning until everything is right between you and God. Mm. Then Spurgeon says, keep in perpetual fellowship with Jesus and thus you can be with him and yet be serving him at the same time. 
And that was the thing about Muller. Muller was convinced that uh, it was our fellowship with Christ and with the Father that set everything up. If if you weren't happy in your relationship with him, then that's the thing that you needed uh, to get straight. It's so fascinating that you pull in Spurgeon here. Obviously, our ties in Midwestern with Spurgeon, but there was a remarkable friendship between these two pastors uh, as well. It went on for years, and I was only later in involved in a study to to realize that it's it's A. T. Pearson who's writing Mueller's uh, first biography. Um, a. T. Pearson was the the pastor uh, in the United States from uh, in Indianapolis, and um, who actually filled the pulpit for Spurgeon. So he actually knew both of them well and their friendship well, and um, this this intricate connection between these global evangelicals who are preaching the Word of God and imploring people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, and the incredible thing is um, both Spurgeon and Muller, the organizations you know, that they created through their own ministries, both still exist. You still have Spurgeon's Homes, which is an organization committed and dedicated to uh, mainly fostering today, but the care of children, um, and uh, Muller's, the organization based in Bristol, an incredible organization uh, with a worldwide commitment, really, to, to sharing the gospel and to, to help where particular needs are identified. Uh, it's incredible that God is still continuing uh, to bless people through the, the continuing ministries that these men establish. Yeah, and we're thankful for and are inheritors of. Uh, Mueller dies on the uh, 10th of March in 1898, having lived a very full life in communion with his Savior and his uh, God and King. And it's just a testimony to the faithfulness of God in every single way. If you have an opportunity, I would strongly recommend that you pick up um, a volume on Mueller. I still think Pearson's is one of the best. Do you have a different recommendation, no, perhaps? No, the same there. It is a website, too, to committed to Muller. I think it's just georgemuller.org. Uh, there are biographies and, and uh, many quotes, details about his life. It's a wonderful resource. Yeah, so that's your homework, uh, listener, if you want to find more uh, about him and how he lived his life really for the church and connecting directly to the, the work of uh, of the Lord and the work of evangelism and also meeting the needs of the least of these exactly in the way that scripture tells us that we are supposed to do. Well, thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of This Week in Church History. We look forward to joining you next week.